0: episode 13 of the passive hang podcast welcome back listeners this is Feon on here and really stoked to have another really great guest today her name is funny tuluk now funny is currently in sweden but she has been for a number of years now up in sydney up located in the jungle brothers gym which i still haven't yet made it over there, but I really wanna get over there. It looks like a really interesting space. Um, and I've been following her work for a while. She's popped up because I think in the way that she shares, I can, I can see that this is someone who takes a lot of consideration into her work. So I knew that this was someone that really cares and is pushing themselves to keep on learning and keep on breaking past their own barriers. Now, funny runs her own business called Mobility Training, and so I entered into this conversation in the back of my mind to ask a lot about mobility because it's a funny type of uh, type of topic these days. You know, it pops up on your feed all the time with a lot of mobility fixes. It's always heralded as like the fix-all for all your pain. So I was glad to get her take on how to approach mobility training. And i was even happier when i heard that it wasn't just all about mobility so not only does she cover calisthenic strength and handstands but also we spent a lot of time talking about the importance of breathing and i think this was a really interesting area because breathing and training apart from i guess some of my learnings which i've gathered from yoga especially in the field of gymnastic strength and body weight training it's not too much talked about other than, you know, maybe breathing, embracing from the usual sort of lifting or preparing for big loads. I'm kind of unaware of it being spoken at length in these areas. We also touch on the concept of universal human movement or patterns, and I think this is another quite interesting area. Do we have fundamental patterns? Do we have these basic patterns that all humans should be able to accomplish? Um, I'll leave it at that. I was really glad to finally connect with Funny. Um, it's unfortunate that she is over in Europe for the current future, but I'm sure when she comes back to our shores in Australia, it'd be great to lock in a training session. So this is episode 13 of The Passive Hang. My name's Fionn, and... Here we go. Thank you uh, for joining us once again. This is another episode of the Passive Hang podcast. Um, and I'm really excited today, once again, to bring a really special guest. So her name is Fanny. I didn't actually ask you how to pronounce the last name. Tuluk.
1: Talik, actually.
0: Talik, almost. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so you run M- Mobility Training AU, uh, from what I can gather uh, in my research. Um, and yep. yeah, really, really glad to connect once again through Instagram. I find, you know, one of the biggest benefits of using this social media tool is, yeah, I guess, if you take more of an active role and reach out to people, it's. Um, led to some really great conversations so once again um haven't had the pleasure of meeting you in person um but hopefully in future we can you know meet up train together share some insights uh face to face but um yeah really looking forward to this conversation today me too um so maybe just as a bit of a intro and to to kick it off do you just want to describe yeah like who you are what you teach um a bit about your background
1: Yeah, sure. So I was born in Sweden and I grew up here. I uh, then moved to Sydney uh, when I was about 25 or so. Um, But before that, I was pretty active as a kid because my family is very active. So my dad used to compete in powerlifting, my mom was very active running and going to the gym and playing handball and such things. So I guess I've always been around physical activity a lot. And so I decided to go to university and study physical training. And that is when I got my personal training certificate. And from there, I started working as a PT in a gym here. And then I moved to Oslo. So I lived in Oslo for a little bit and trained people there. And then I wanted to go travel so i went to america a couple times Uh, the idea was to actually uh, go there and live there and work there and and do that whole sort of thing but i ended up going to australia instead uh, in the end and lucky that was (laughs) um (laughs) so i went to australia in 2013 And I went there to travel around the country, but also to meet different coaches and learn from them, uh, do an internship in Melbourne, uh, etc. And so during this time, I met my husband, Luke, Mm. and then I settled down in Sydney and I was very big into uh, body composition, um, bodybuilding, competing and that sort of thing. That was mainly the thing that I was interested in when I came to Australia. So I, um, I was seeking out coaches who were good with that sort of thing. Hmm. So I could learn to coach people, to step on stage, uh, prepare for bodybuilding comps and stuff like that. And in about 2015, when I'd been in Australia for a couple of years, um, I started working at Lift Performance Center, and we had different classes there. So we had powerlifting, weightlifting, uh, gymnastics, and I used to sit at reception because that's where I started uh, when we first started the gym. And I would look at these gymnastics classes, and with big admiration for what the coach was able to do with their body, and I thought I can never do that and little by little I got into it and then I came to a crossroads where I was like should I go with powerlifting, should I go with gymnastics and I was very naive at the time and I I thought nah I'm gonna fix my injuries because uh, you know if I choose gymnastics there's a lot of mobility training in there so it'll Mm -hmm. fix my injuries but little did I know that I would get plenty of other injuries when I, <laughs> other gymnastics so that sort of led me into the gymnastics and and calisthenics mobility type of uh, realm
0: yeah mm. um i'm interested to find out like what's was your perception of what the scene or what was happening here in australia coming from sweden you know like mm. it's really hard for me to picture that because i've always like been here grown up grown up here but it is it known for, like, being well-versed in physical culture or, like, being at the top? Or was, was that why you were sort of considering America and Australia?
1: Um, I would say that when I was sort of um, picturing the culture here in Australia or down in Australia it was very much outdoors and a lot of sort of outdoor, uh, activities and, and things like that. But then when I came to Australia and especially Sydney and, and Melbourne and, and Brisbane as well, I noticed that it was quite, uh, far ahead. Uh, I thought in compared to uh, Norway and, and Sweden that I had worked in before mm. and, yeah i guess the sort of gym culture and especially sydney it was very very common to have a personal trainer compared to in sweden i would say that people think that they can take care of that bit a bit more themselves Mm. so i guess that is the main difference i would say
0: Mm. yeah i I always wonder about that um because uh yeah, yeah. Don't know what the cultures are like in the the other countries, but it's it's funny that you mentioned about the um how the personal trainer is is really common. Um, yeah. Do you think that's because people just uh, are more willing to put their trust into somebody else to to guide them, or because I I sort of think about when I was younger as well, and I was just getting into university, like. Mm. I never thought about getting a coach or anything like that. It was all like, no, I can figure this out. I'm just going to do this myself, yeah. right? Um, and I'm wondering, is that more uh, more common over there? And then over here, maybe, yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure what, what the feeling is here, but more people are like, uh, especially now, I think, you know, there's not only just like one-on-one coaches, but group classes as well, right? That you're like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe I'll get some guidance on this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I think there is something... Uh, to that for sure Um, I think it also comes down to like the like the culture of that we have in Sweden it's just not really uh, as much a thing I think to have a personal trainer but I should also say that I'm sort of comparing apples and oranges because I come from a small uh, town and Mm. I haven't lived in Stockholm or Gothenburg and worked there, mm. so the situation is probably quite different there, so it would me it would be a better comparison probably to compare those two cities with like Sydney and Melbourne compared to uh, yeah the smaller cities that I've lived in um, but I mean Oslo is also uh, it's the capital in Norway, but it's still small in mm-hmm. comparison so um, yeah. It's a bit difficult to compare, I think.
0: Yeah. And I remember when I was wandering around in Sydney, I think a bit earlier this year and I was like almost amazed by how many gyms there were. I was like, I think I was wandering around Alexandria and I was like, every second building is like a, it's like a gym. (laughs) Like what's going on here? Blew my mind.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's quite a lot of like smaller uh, studios and, and stuff like that in Sydney uh, popping Mm. up and, um, I think that's great to see. Um, it mm. brings a bit of uh, diversity to the fitness industry. So,
0: yeah, definitely. Um, so you mentioned like, so you got your start first into more bodybuilding. Is that is that mm-hmm. correct in that realm? Um, yeah. And what was your sort of draw into that, and then how was it sort of shifting from that into what you do now?
1: Mm. Um, I think the big draw for it was when I went to university. Uh, there was a few girls in my class that started getting big into bodybuilding.
0: Hmm. And I
1: think bodybuilding was really up and coming as a sport at the time uh, and probably had been for a few years. But I think the uh, girls in my class was certainly uh, an influence to for me to sort of get into that. And um, I guess also... I used to, I wrestled when I was younger. So I wrestled for about 10 years on quite a high level in Sweden. And it was, I remember that I had a lot of, um, I felt like I needed to perform a lot Mm. and I felt like I, it probably comes down to some kind of uh, mental, emotional aspect of me uh, trying to be in the center of attention or like, yeah, yeah those sort of struggles when I was growing up. And when I left wrestling, it needed to be replaced with something. Mm. And I think bodybuilding was that thing where I could really smash myself and really try and and perform at something as well as I possibly could at the same time as I could be in the center of attention when Mm. I was doing that type of thing. Mm. So I think that is how it sort of, came about a little bit and then later on in like i said 2014 15 even 16 there i realized that this is not really me and Mm. it's not really the realm of physical training or practice that i am actually interested in not anymore at least Mm. so I, I think being around the gymnastics and people doing a lot of mobility uh, preparation and things like that before their powerlifting and weightlifting uh, training, it got me quite curious and interested in in that sort of thing. Also because I had some injuries at the time, and yeah, it felt like a natural way of moving towards something different, something that was more skill-based rather than smashing myself all the
0: time in a way. <laughs> yeah i was about to ask you about like the biggest sort of distinctions between that sort of training um and what what you do now um and i think maybe that is the key difference right it's more towards like this uh th- these physical skills right that you that you aim to learn um mm. also yeah i guess the the best bodybuilders as well they're probably learning all the time right learning how to maximize um you know volume within their muscles as well um but i yeah it takes me back as well uh because i think when i was younger university like those sort of modalities like bodybuilding really reflect maybe about your search for identity during the time as as well right like i And maybe maybe it could have been because that's what was on the internet all the time as well. So it was sort of like, okay, yeah, like just got to get big. That's the thing.
1: (laughs) I think there was um, certainly a few factors and it's um, something that I'm able to see a lot more clear today because I've done a lot of uh, work on myself. Mm. So I've been able to understand better why I chose to do bodybuilding um, and what sort of, yeah, what was behind that? Why did I take that route? Um, How did that come about? Um, And then this sort of mental, emotional, physical impact of everything uh, in terms of training that was going on when I was growing up and also in my mid, uh, sorry, early to mid 20s. Um, it was a very interesting time, and it 's um something that 's been very valuable to look back at because yeah i 've been able to see things a lot more clearly today than than back then so
0: mm-hmm. okay, so like from there you started shifting into so what, what how would you describe like what you 're into now is is it gymnastics is it like calisthenics um yeah how how would you describe it?
1: Yeah, it's a tricky thing because I, in one way, I don't want to box myself into I'm teaching X, Y, Z. Mm. Um, But on the other hand, when you are speaking of things and you are trying to describe things like what you are uh, teaching, what you're working with, you sort of need to put words into it. So I would say that I'm teaching calisthenics, strength and mobility. Mm -hmm. But, um, at the side of that, I am also getting a lot more into universal human movements.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So like what I've noticed the last few years is that doing a, a specific type of, uh, physical modality, such as calisthenics, gymnastics, powerlifting, weightlifting, it comes with it's, um, how should I put it? they very, very often go against the way that we move naturally. Mm -hmm. And so what I've noticed is that if I only teach calisthenics, strength and mobility, there might be certain areas or structures in the body that they are missing out on in terms of loading. Certain Mm -hmm. structures might be uh, overloaded Mm -hmm. as well. So I found that it's really important for myself and for my students that I add in and integrate movements that are, they might be very gentle, might be not be um, loaded at all. But just taking them through range of motion to incorporate all the structures in the body at Mm. one point or another so that they are kept uh, engaged and just stimulating the whole body. I, I found that super important for staying injury free and just performing well, just moving well.
0: Yeah, this is really um funny, right? Because um when you think about it like calisthenic movements, that sort of thing, I don't think that like would have anyone been doing like front levers and like planches two thousand mm. years ago. Uh well maybe, I don't know. (laughs) but It kind of seems like it's quite a modern invention, right? Of um, coming from the art of gymnastics and and things like that. And, Mm. you know, I always uh, laugh a little bit about with like movement culture as well. Um, But then there's like a really strong emphasis, like on the, on the handstand. Right. Um, But then Mm. for the handstand, like the more that I step into the handstand as well, the more I'm sort of realizing as well. It's like, yeah, it's it's like a really nice practice, but also like it is a bit unnatural that I'm making like my hands into my feet and then I can, you know, my, my shoulders into my hips. Like that 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 does go a little bit counter to maybe what we are supposed to be doing. So yeah, it's a it's a funny little interplay there.
1: Mm, I mean it's um It clearly works for a lot of people and obviously there is individual differences that might mean that one person uh, is more prone to injuries doing this type of of training versus another person. But I think that as long as we can, like I said before, incorporate movements that are stimulating the whole body and we're not missing out on any structures being loaded and, and stimulated and stuff like that, I think that this type of training can work really well for people mm. um yeah
0: so what what would you say these you know universal human movements are
1: well it's very linked to gait to the way that we are walking um and also breathing so mm. i do a lot of breathing with my students and myself and mm. the with breathing there is certain movements that are happening Mm -hmm. and so i use breathing for example partly as a way of um, engaging the body uh, in natural movements Uh, Mm -hmm. the weight naturally should move when it's breathing um, to position the body in safe stable strong positions Mm -hmm. Um, as well as you can obviously use breathing as more of a physiological like down-regulating tapping into the parasympathetic nervous system type of uh practice.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um but I think it's important to actually have some kind of focus on gait running um natural movements like that so that we don't get stuck in positions that we need to hold when we are doing like you said uh attack planche or a front lever or something like that because mm-hmm that might not be the most natural way of, uh, moving.
0: Hmm. It's yeah. I, I want to dig a, a bit more into this, um, role of breathing, right. Because, um, you know, like I, I see it like incorporated somewhat a lot say like in yoga practices, that sort of thing, they always have a very big focus on the breath, right. Um, when, when to breathe in, how to breathe during movements, um, from, yeah can find in calisthenics that's like not so much guidance you know especially when performing the movements that that sort of thing um you yeah, know my sort of findings in the role of the breath um apart from you know breathing and bracing and then using it and down regulating is probably quite basic so i i guess yeah like where does one get started with breathing in in training
1: Oh, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, I think that I would start with doing some practice where I would observe the way that I'm breathing. Mm -hmm. Um, I recommend lying down on your back, uh, maybe even having the hands on the bottom of the ribs Mm -hmm. and just observing what is happening when you are breathing normally. Mm -hmm. And then we do know that when we are, this is not necessarily in training always, but when we are just, when we just are, when we just, you know, normally, um, we want to breathe through the nose in and out as much as we can. And we want it to be relaxed. We don't want to force it. Um, if we can get the exhale to be a bit longer, that is uh, also good for uh, calming down the body. And the reason why I would start with this is because this is a lot of the basics for what you would do when you are uh, practicing breathing during training as well. So mm. uh, I, I think it's really important that we are sta- starting at the foundations and we are getting an understanding for where we are today mm. because if we do that we know where we're at and if we then later on know where we want to go then it's a little bit of a clearer way to bridge that gap between where you are and where you want to go Mm. and so starting with the simplest things as just observing the breath is a really really good practice because it also keeps you in the present when you do it Mm, so i would start there and Mm -hmm. then i would. have a bit of a look at what it is that you want to do in training. Um, if you want to move faster, if you just want to keep positions, there are certain breathing techniques that you would do at different uh, for different intentions, basically.
0: Hmm. And with the with the nose breathing, so is that something that you? It's it's preferable for most times because, yeah, I'm thinking like, you know, when I'm pushing it really hard as well, right, it's natural mm-hmm. to then really pant and pant through the mouth. Um, yep. Yeah, wh- why the nose?
1: Well, the nose is really good because it calms the body down uh, because you can't take in as big a breath through the nose mm-hmm. as you do through the mouth. Um, so that's the main thing I would say. And if you are training and you are panting and your heart rate is up and your breathing rate is up, then, of course, you will need to breathe through your mouth at some stages or another. And I would say emphasising nasal breathing in between the sets, for example, Mm. could be a good way of just trying to calm the body down so it can recover quicker in between. Mm. So that could be one way of... um, incorporating breathing into more cardiovascular uh, type of activities for example.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. It's like intra set down regulation, right? So that you can, yes. so that you can recover better for, for your next effort.
1: Yep. Totally.
0: Mm-hmm. And with, with this, is this like some of the basics that you start off with, with a lot of the people that you teach as well, like do a lot of dysfunctions start at this breathing phase
1: I would say that a lot of people are not able to breathe well. Yes. So mm. unless you are breathing well, it's going to be very difficult for you to utilize your full range of motion, for example. Mm. Um, it's very common that if you're not breathing well, um, the movement might not be as smooth and controlled. Um, you might be holding a lot of tension, which again then going to affect your range of motion and the way that you're moving. So I would Actually, I should mention one more thing, and it's if you can utilize the breathing to get into really strong and stable positions,
3: mm-hmm.
1: that is super-duper important, especially when you do things like like heavier lifting, like squats, deadlifts, and stuff like that. So I think that it's very, very important um, from that standpoint as well.
0: Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love this because I'm guessing, you know, for a lot of people when they think, Oh yeah, I'm going to get into physical training. Right. It's um, one of the further things is, is thinking about breathing, right? Like that's normally, that's normally just attached to things like meditation, right. Rather than yeah. like, physical training. So um, yeah. I love this focus that you're placing on it because I know in my experience as well, um, it is, um, Got a huge effect, right? Especially, I mean, if you want to talk about mobility or any of these type of things, like the more calmer yeah. that you are, the easier it is to get into like whatever range you're talking about, right?
1: Yeah, I think um, breathing is massively underlooked, to be honest, hmm. in training.
0: Hmm. So once I guess people start getting awareness of how they're breathing, um, that sort of thing. So yeah. do you just yeah, what are the next sort of steps? Do you just keep on continuing that, that awareness into like the physical movements that you get them to perform or is there some sort of protocols that uh, you instruct them on?
1: It really depends on the person and what their goals are and where they're at. So, yeah, for some people I use the breathing more as a calming, down-regulating type of tool. Mm -hmm. maybe even in between sets sessions and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but for some people actually for a lot of my students they are working on um moving the skull the rib cage and the pelvis uh Mm -hmm. naturally and coordinating those well and one way to do that is to utilize the breathing so i would often do in the beginning sort of the beginning phase or the second phase of their training would often include some kind of movement where they are utilizing the breathing as well.
0: Mm-hmm. This is really yeah. interesting stuff. Um, yeah. Is this, is this following like some particular sort of method that you learned or like, did you just from like your own type of experiments and observations?
1: It's a bit of both. So I took a course with uh, Gary Ward. It's called anatomy in motion
0: Mm, last year.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm, Yeah. They are really good at introducing, um, natural ways of moving and like how we are moving uh, from a biomechanical standpoint. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, and it's as simple as the bones are structured in this way. So therefore we are going to move in this way when we are doing this, etc. So it's a lot, sort of, to take in in the beginning. But once you understand how the body is moving, then you can also pair it up with the breathing. So I've learned breathing from a few different sources, um, like my mentor Mushak, for example. He's introducing some breathing to me, um, but also from school, university. Uh, different courses etc so I am probably putting together a little bit of a my own sort of take on things Um, yeah it's a bit of a mix I would say
0: yeah I think this is quite an exciting area right because bringing these sort of techniques um, especially into the more physical realm as well maybe outside of just like gait as well um, is yeah. something that I, I haven't found too much information on as well. Um, but definitely like I noticed the difference between when I'm more aware of my breath or like when I used to train, I used to always just hold my breath all the time. Right. It's like uh, yeah. I'm going ma- max effort. Like I'd come out, my face would be beet red <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> almost. A bit. I think I've seen people like pass out because of that as well. Um, yeah. And it's made such a big difference when, yeah, I've just managed to be able to keep enough tension but still keep calm. Like even when yeah. I'm like slightly holding or like keep, keep, keep keeping that diaphragm like full. Um, yeah, it makes a big big difference.
1: Yeah, I um I don't know if you've seen I wrote a very long <laughs> breathing article last year called "Breathing: The Interface Between You and Your Thoughts and Emotions," mm. and. In that article, I have, I think it was six different types of breathing patterns that I explained.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And i um, pretty sure this one is called hypoxic breathing, that the one that you are um, explaining. And it's mm-hmm. super common to see in the gym environment where you are basically holding your breath and then you're taking a few uh, quick breaths and then you're holding your breath again. And the danger with this is that if we are practicing a pattern like that a lot in training, Mm -hmm. then sometimes that gets integrated into the rest of our lives. Mm. So when we are walking up a curb or stairs or whatever it is, and it's, we're making an effort, it's very common that we're also holding our breath when we do that in everyday life activities. And this is where the problem starts coming in because Mm. that is not a good way of breathing.
0: Yeah. It's really funny like that, I guess, um, you know, in some way, you're always practicing something, right? Like that's a new pattern that you're yep. integrating. And if you're not conscious of it, then it can become like a, a big thing. I've, I've noticed this before when like working on things, um, maybe like hard problems as well. And then I'm like, why am I holding my breath? <laughs> yep. And it, yeah, it, it could be from whatever, or maybe like the, those older days when I associated like, okay, this is an effort I've got to, I've got to brace myself. And this is how I do yep. it.
1: Yeah, it's super common. I mean, I used to do that in the beginning when I, I still do. I have to say sometimes um, when I do my br- um, sorry handstand practice,
3: mm-hmm.
1: it's super, super common. And you see it every single time when someone is starting off the handstands and they are starting to get into the freestanding kick ups. Mm-hmm. And they are, you know, taking a big breath in, they're holding their breath and then they kick into it. It's super common, and I see even uh, some teachers, uh, handstand teachers, uh, promoting this because it does mean that you're keeping a bit of tension. So sometimes it's easier to, or very often it's easier to keep your, uh, get your position and keep it. Mm. So sticking the handstand might be a bit easier in the beginning when you are inhaling, holding a breath, kicking in, and then getting it. However. I don't think that is a necessarily sustainable way of breathing, breathing in the handstand as you go along. Mm -hmm. So normally what I try to do now is I exhale and then I jump into the handstand position. Mm. And then I just pause until I basically have my position. Then I'll start inhaling again.
0: I got to try that next time I'm, I'm handstanding. Cause I think I'm similar as well. Like I inhale a little bit, I have a bit of tension, then kick up. And then after, when I find the balance, that's when I return back to more normal breathing.
1: Yeah. I mean, someone's told me as well that when you are exhaling and the pause after the exhale is when your fine motor control skills improves or are better. Mm. Um, i'm not sure yet uh i've experienced or like i've experimented with this for a while um Mm. but i'm not sure just yet if i can sort of see that but um if that is true then i guess it would be interesting to try and work towards exhaling and then jumping in on the
0: pause Mm, most definitely most definitely um Bring it back to the, um, you know, the universal human movements. You are talking about like gait, um, that sort of thing. So are you just talking about in terms of like um, walking and running patterns or other sort of patterns that you're uh, deeming as like essential?
1: Um, I am currently researching and studying the gait patterns more myself. And I guess as far as I've come at the moment is – that I think that because they are such integrated movements in our life in general, everyone's walking, everyone is, uh, you know, potentially running at certain times. I think unless we pay some attention to those types of movements, we might get into trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, it's tricky to talk about because I feel like I haven't done uh, enough studies in this area yet. But mm. I guess from what I've seen is that since it's such a uh, natural pattern of us, of ours, to to walk and it comes with certain uh, movements through the whole body, like gait is a full body movement, mm-hmm. then I think it's important to utilise those movements and those angles of the different joints um to make sure that we are stimulating all the stretches in the body mm. that's sort of how far i've come with this type of research at the moment mm-hmm. um yeah but i'll be able to tell you more maybe in a few months
0: <laughs> yeah no I'd, I'd definitely be very interested to hear your your findings as a, as your understanding develops right and then um mm. as you start becoming more comfortable with maybe sharing that uh, as well so please keep me updated but um yeah i've Will come I've I've come across Gary Ward's work before um I got treated by a practitioner actually who followed by him and yeah cool. it, it was it was really interesting with um the analysis of the gate and then doing all these different things and I you know through that process it actually did cha- change my gate because <laughs> um, I I went there for for a few months so I can recommend um his his work like I don't know too much about it I looked a little bit into it but um mm. you know For those out there who who are interested, I think he is one of the leading guys uh, for the foot, right, and for gait and that sort of stuff.
1: I think it's definitely a good uh, place to start. Um, He's obviously talking a lot about the foot. He's got a book about the foot as well. Um, And I think it's in many regards a forgotten body part. Mm. Um, And I know that it was for me for a long time. And so obviously the gait and universal movements, uh, take a lot of the, the foot movements into consideration as well, making sure that the foot is also going through its movements like pronation and supination, just mm-hmm. like the knees flexing, extending the hip internally, externally rotating, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Uh, it's interesting, like, as you said as well about like making sure that all the joints, uh, are taken through and and stress correctly that sort of thing because yeah. I mean I guess let's talk about mobility now this is um a really interesting topic I think especially because when you log onto Instagram these days or have a search for um like mobility or mobility methods there's like yeah. so many right it's like yeah. which one do you follow everyone's got like some sort of secret technique or something that you should be doing. Um, a lot of them condone, like you got to be mobilizing everything as well. Right. So that almost relates back to that, what you're saying before about, you know, stressing everything is like, well, is mobility then stressing everything because you are like taking all these joints within a certain range of motion, that sort of thing. I guess what's your take on all this, um, on everything that's happening now, um, yeah, seeing is I guess your self titled like mobility training. Um, so, yep. uh, what what are you seeing at the moment with what's happening in the culture with uh, like mobility mo- mo- mobility methods?
1: Hmm. Um. One thing that I'm seeing is that people tend to do a lot of it, and sometimes even three four hours per day of mobility training (laughs) and I actually had a a guy contact me last week and we had a consult and he had bought some program and he said, Oh, you know, I've done four months of this program and it's about three to four hours a day. And I'm sort of like getting a bit over it. And I'm like, yep, I can understand that. That's a long time to train. Um, I think that it's easy to get caught in doing mobility training because Hmm. just, just because you want to do mobility training. So I think it's important to ask yourself, why are you doing mobility training? Because Hmm. mobility training is not the um, end goal
3: Hmm.
1: necessarily. Um, I used to think that, you know, front splits and middle splits and stuff like that was really cool. And it was sort of the end goals for me for a while.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think that it's important to potentially reevaluate and think about this. Like, why do you want to be able to do a front split?
3: Mm-hmm. Why
1: do you want to be able to do a bridge? You know, all of these. Why do you want to be able to do a pancake? Mm-hmm. And I guess the process of getting there is going to be a whole lot easier if you can utilize that movement in Mm -hmm. a spot or some kind of activity. So for the pancake, for example, that is extremely useful for me because I want to be able to do a press to handstand at some stage.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. So in my handstand practice, it's important that I've got a good straddle and that I'm very strong and mobile in that uh, position. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't use my pancake position but I just did mobility exercise after mobility exercise to try and get there, if I never used it, I would never be able to have it. I, wouldn't, I might be able to get it on occasion mm-hmm. but actually embodied that movement wouldn't be very easy unless I was actually using that position or that movement on a regular basis.
0: Does that make sense? No, yeah, this this makes a lot of sense, right? Because I think one thing with, with mobility, right, especially with these these goals that you mentioned, you know, having the splits, Van Dam splits, you know, this, this bridge yeah. sort of stuff, they can almost start becoming uh, ends in and of themselves, right? Um, and then what I'm noticing as well, sometimes there's a lot of messaging coming out where it's just like mobility is the fix for everything, right? And the more that you do, the better that you'll be prepared for all of life, you know, that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think their approach that you're talking about is kind of like, well, what what do you want out of life? You know, like if you
2: Yeah
0: like if you don't have a pancake, that can be completely fine, right? Like you don't need a pancake. <laughs>
1: no, absolutely not. It's um it's a funny thing because you don't need to be extreme when it comes to range of motion work. Like very often uh, in certain sports, you don't need to be very flexible. Um, mm. but it is important to build that strength through range, but strength through the range that you need to be able to play rugby, play soccer, um, you know, be a dancer, whatever it is. And all these different activities and sports are going to require different amounts of mobility of you. So, or, You know, you need different types of mobility depending on what you're doing.
3: Hmm.
1: So I think that is super important to link back to. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I guess when people first come to you um, and maybe they, you know, they have uh, these goals and they're mobility based, what are they normally asking for and what do you normally ask them back?
1: That's a good question. (laughs) They would normally, I think they would normally very often say something like I want to get the splits, I want to be able to get do a pancake, um, I want to be able to do a handstand, stuff like that. Handstand is very popular at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, I'm finding. So it's a lot of that sort of thing. And I guess my, one of my... Things as a coach and teacher is to just question that and poke that sort of idea a little bit to see where is it coming from and mm-hmm. why do they want to get these specific goals is there a specific thing behind that it very often is like if they want to get a pancake they actually want to be able to do a press to handstand for example mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's important to know that because if that was the case, for example, you want to get a pancake so you can do a press-to-handstand, the there is also other things that you would want to work on.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you might want to specify uh, the training and program it better compared to if you only have the information, I want to do a pancake.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Um, it's almost like you you have to zoom out so that you know what you're integrating that into, right? Like it, um, if you're just working on it as an isolated piece as well, it would kind of always sit, sit outside what they actually want to, to achieve.
1: Mm, I think so. And I think it's important for themselves to dig a bit deeper and understanding why and the, uh, the motive behind what they want to do. Because that can sometimes even understanding that process in themselves can sometimes actually change their goal because they realize they actually don't want to do x y z
0: mm, mm. yeah, and I guess that's um that's the powerful role that turning or consulting someone like a coach can can provide right um maybe some deeper understanding beyond what you're actually asking for
1: absolutely I think um we all need some kind of uh, a person where you, that you can consult sometimes mm. and um, yeah, chat to and, and figure out what you actually want to do.
0: Mm. Um, with like, say all these mobility, you know, mobility methods, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I guess what have you researched, looked into that sort of thing? If someone did want to get, you know, the splits, the pancake, what sort of process, or what? Yeah, yeah. What sort of process would you take them through in terms of guiding them to get to that goal?
1: Hmm. Um. I've taken quite a few different courses. I've done Emmett Lewis uh, courses. Uh, I've mm-hmm. done Ido Portel. I've done some other courses as well. But um, Emmett is really, really good with mobility training. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I use a lot of his sort of techniques. Mm-hmm. But when I get a, um, a new student, I would do testing on them first just to see where they're at. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
1: and it might be more or less. Sometimes I see uh, on a few tests ex- what they sort of need and where we need to start. Sometimes they're pretty good. Maybe I need to do a few more tests. I, uh, and so we... Extend the list of testing uh, a bit, mm-hmm. and then from there we start. Um, it depends on the person. Sometimes I start with a lot of sort of stretch therapy type of stretches from Kit mm-hmm. Locklin and Olivia, mm-hmm. and incorporating that. And sometimes it's that together with more dynamic movements, so more mobility stuff, more Emmet flavor uh, flavored exercises. Um, sometimes it's just mobility, so it, it really depends on the person um, as to where we are starting. And breathing is always going to be a part of this practice.
0: Mm, I, I, I love how you brought it back back to the breathing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that you, you sound like you've really um, dug deep into this with a range of quite quite well-known teachers, um, certainly teachers that have been on my list for a while uh, uh, as well. And I, I would love to, um, you know, further dig into their stuff, uh, when, when things open up. Um, yeah, I, it's always been on my mind, I guess, because everyone takes these different approaches, right. Even Emma kit, mm-hmm. that, that sort of thing. Um, and it's the difficulty is then, okay, like applying it, say maybe to, for your personal practice, right. Um, or, if you're guiding others as well, it's like, how do you make that choice to then go, okay, like for this particular individual at this point in time, this is probably going to be the best, right? Because say even like a a quad, uh, like a quad stretch or something for, for the posterior chain, right? There's like 20 different (laughs) things you could do. Right. So it's like, how do you pick the right one?
1: I think, um, firstly, I want to say it's, Uh, an important thing to when you're doing stretching as well as when you're doing mobility, it's always important to remember, especially with stretching, stretching can be very, very good with exploring your restrictions, improving Mm -hmm. on your body awareness and the sort of sensitivity, sensitivity to feeling in with your body to basically listen to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's important to remember that when we are in positions like that, it's not necessarily going to be a very good. um, It's not going to always carry over to movements.
2: Mm. So
1: with the stretching uh, that could be a super good um, position or exercise to do before you do movements, but you always need to take it back to, Uh, the movement and reiterate the right movement patterns um, Mm -hmm. when you're doing the mobility stuff. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that is super important.
0: So you're talking about like a sort of reintegration and coordination into like the um, movement patterns that you want to train, right? Like, um, so there's almost like this question going, like, if you were just to like couch stretch or super couch stretch all day, right, on the quad, Mm -hmm. but then it's like, what are you going to use it for, right? If if that part is missing, then maybe that that image in your brain of how to use it as well is is missing is that what you're talking about
1: yep that's exactly what i'm talking about mm. yeah um and the other question that you asked was you asked another question before which i was going to answer now mm. i forgot what it was <laughs>
0: <laughs> i've i've forgotten about uh, it as well, yeah. I, I was talking about yeah the context of the individual.
1: Oh um. uh, yeah, that that was it. So <laughs> after the testing, what I normally do is I have some stretches or mobility exercises that I prefer doing mm-hmm. because of different reasons. So if I think that it's going to suit the individual, I would put that in their program, and then we would simply start practicing that movement or that position to mm-hmm. see. How it's working out for them. Mm -hmm. And then I'm always flexible to um, change the exercise or changing Mm -hmm. uh, details of that exercise, modify the movements depending on the person. Mm -hmm. Because you can do a lot of testing, but there are certain things that will potentially not show as well as when you're starting a program and starting certain exercises. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to be flexible in the programming and changing things as you go. If you find that it's not working so well,
0: mm, I, so you're saying like normally in the assessment process, um, no matter how well you design it, there still can always be things that that just change, right? Like I know even from day to day, like you you feel different feelings of tightness, right? Like you just some mm-hmm. some days you're like ah. Oh, I'm like way more open and then other days you're know, like, ah, oh, <laughs> this is gonna be super tough. Um so
1: mm-hmm. yep, certainly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a really nice point about um the programming, that's that sort of thing. So um yeah, so maybe with like then when you prescribe the work, that sort of thing. Um, you know, traditionally when people think about flexibility training, mobility training, that sort of thing, it's just like a range of heaps of stretches like all day, all day, right? Um that like the sense that the work that you would give would be really quite different. Right. Um, so maybe, could you describe maybe what, what that would look like? Would that look more like based on strength that are like the actual movements themselves? Um, yeah. How, when you get to like the programming and giving the work to people, like w- what mm. would that be?
1: Well, very often I see that, um, there is movements that are not coordinating as well, coordinated Mm -hmm. as well as they could. Mm -hmm. So I try to bring into the programming movements and positions that will improve the way that they move Mm -hmm. first, Mm -hmm. because if they're not moving well and they can't, if they can't position themselves well, the function is not going to be there. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: position uh, dictates function mm-hmm. basically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's important that they are able to breathe, uh, position their body really well so that they can actually get the most out of the uh, exercises and positions that they are going to practice later on. Mm-hmm. So it's important to build that foundation first. Um, then in terms of like how the program is structured is going to always depend on the individual person. I don't really have like a template of this is how I normally do things mm-hmm. because every person is different. So um, what I would say is that I would probably not program less than three days a week. Sometimes I do two,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, but it's in rare cases, I would say three sessions a week is uh, good. If you want to get somewhat um, consistent results, basically, mm-hmm. mm. um, and if it comes down to uh, mobility and sort of uh, flexibility goals, I would probably have those somewhat in all those three sessions per week. So mm. that they get frequency in.
0: Mm. And with um, like say those positions, um, do you have in your mind like any fundamental like sort of basic positions that everybody should have maybe tying it back into these sort of universal human movements that we were talking about before.
1: Mm, um, it's going to depend on the person again, mm-hmm. but I am tying it back to, um, natural universal human movements basically. So like how the skull, the rib cage and the pelvis move, mm-hmm. uh, together and how they are integrated, which mm-hmm. actually comes back to the gait again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: so how they move in gait is how they move naturally so
2: mm-hmm.
1: um if i were to do like a lion cogs exercise which is one of gary's exercises where that you lay on your your back and you are tilting your pelvis into anterior tilt and posterior pelvic tilt mm-hmm. then i would have a look at how the rib cage and the skull are moving and coordinated together with the pelvis moving mm-hmm. so that. And then on top of that, you can have a look at the sort of the, the scaps, the shoulders, the hands, the elbows, that sort of thing. And then also together with the breathing.
3: Mm. So
1: that sort of thing is very fundamental for me. If they can't do that, if they can't coordinate a movement like that well, efficiently, then we need to take care of that first.
0: Mm-hmm. I like how you're talking about this coordination of the parts, right? Because let's say talking about like what's coming out from what I can see from like the functional range conditioning stuff, right? Like a, a lot of it's like about this, like joint independence. Oh, that's like the sort of messaging that I'm, get, I'm getting. It's like, um, you know, the the more independently you can move all these joints and then, you know, block them off and then just move your shoulder, the, the better. But um, mm-hmm. what you're talking about here is kind of like these – these all these parts working in conjunction with each other
1: yeah i guess i'm more for integrating movements through the whole body Mm. uh, rather than isolating
0: yeah i I think it's um different approaches right um and Mm. and maybe one of the reasons why sometimes it can get a bit confusing as well right because you're like uh this one's saying this and then this one's saying this (laughs) um yeah I always find it really funny um, for especially this area of mobility, flexibility, whatever you want to call it, right? Because um, maybe sometimes yeah. like in, in strength, um, there are more clearer principles that you can find out with, you know, like progressive overload, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But then sometimes with mobility it can present itself like this magic black box, right? Which is like some people just got the splits, and then other people's you'd be struggling all the time and you know how do, how do they get there who knows
1: i think um whether we are talking about mobility training or strength training mm-hmm. one important aspect of physical training is to develop your ability to listen to your own body mm-hmm. and build that body awareness up. I always talk about body awareness and it's one of those sort of uh, probably boring concepts for a lot of people, but it is so extremely important to have and keep working on a high, like high level of body awareness, because unless you get, maybe I should say physical, physically intelligent, like if you are able to listen to your body and then take uh, action accordingly whether that is stepping back sideways forwards, whatever it is mm-hmm. I think no matter what information is out there or what type of method you are trying currently if you can always go back to yourself and see and and sort of take a more of an objective uh, view of how you are doing mm. um like you can take photos and videos and stuff like that, but then also go more internal and pay attention to how things are feeling. And if you get a good feeling from it or not so good feeling from it and how that is developing you, I think that is super important to develop like that type of um, skill, uh, Mm. no matter what you're doing in terms of physical, physical training.
0: Mm, I really like this, this, um, this dialogue to yourself, right. And bringing in this awareness once again, um, to, to what's happening within the body. Um, maybe that was one of the shifts that I recognized, um, within myself, uh, especially in the last few years from my training from before, like a lot of it was how you were mentioning before, like bodybuilding days, you just want to smash yourself. And it's like, there's one feeling which is like, okay, I'm not working out. And then the other feeling, which is like, I really got to be like crushing it. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's maybe a sense that I've been developing more these days is like going, Oh, okay. Like what's happening there. What's happening there. I, I engaged in that activity. What was the sort of effect there? It's a, it's a lot more uh, complex and subtle on these different levels.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then if you get really good at that, you will be able to distinguish between, poor information and better information, basically. Mm.
0: I like that. I like that. And, and, it, and it can be like any information could be the good information, right? Even if it doesn't work for, for all these other people, but you know, in your case, if you find it and listen to your body and um, it has a good effect, then you should mm. tr- trust in your direct experience. Right. I agree. Mm. Um, so I guess one funny thing with mobility as well is um, relating it back to my personal experience was I started looking at other modalities and mobility popped up because of my experience with um, pain and injury. You know, at the time I always had this like really tight, neck tension uh there was something happening within like my my right groin as well and then i started finding like this stuff like mobility and i was like wow maybe this could be the the fix right um like what how do you normally approach guiding someone who might come to you and say like hey i've got this injury i've got these 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 pains um does that does your approach adapt when they mention things like that um,
1: I guess I have an approach that is, um, how should you put it, that will take stuff like that into consideration as it is. Mm. So I would always try and start with breathing and mm-hmm. building, building the uh, natural movements in the body.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And once those things are in place, you can start working on specific positions that you need to work on for certain exercises. If you have certain goals of calisthenics, for example, mm-hmm. but I think wrong, um, running alongside each other is it's really important to have. Uh, you know, like you might have the goals of calisthenics specific skills,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and alongside that, we are having the the movements the natural movements, the breathing, so that we are taking the whole body into consideration, Mm. not just the structures that are involved with the calisthenic skills.
2: Mm, mm,
1: mm. So whether you have an injury, if you have pain anywhere, um, if you are pregnant, like I tend to always treat people in a similar way in terms of I individualize it towards their situation and i'm keeping a very open mind to things that may not work will work uh their experience and then we discuss it and see what the best uh path is for them Mm. so i try not to uh, box myself into like you know pregnant women can't do x y and z (laughs) you know people who have back issues can't do x y and z it's Mm. i try to keep it a bit more open than that i guess
0: i think it goes back to that dialogue piece again right like um you're trying to help them establish a better dialogue with their body and then help convey that to you as the as the counselor or or guide right um and i like what you said about not trying to enter it into any preconceived notions as well uh because yeah sometimes sometimes it is what it is right but then other times it's just what they think it is which can be changed
1: absolutely 100 percent
0: another area i wanted to touch on as well was maybe this um, female to male distinction as well Um, like Mm -hmm. engaging with like the modalities that you train in maybe let's take calisthenics for for example what do you see as the differences between like Male training and f- female training in in, in calisthenics, like um, advantages, disadvantages, just differences mm. that you've that you've noticed as as you've um, gone into this practice.
1: Mm. Um, a physical uh, characteristic that is a bit different is often that the uh, women has a little bit less strength than the male, like especially through the upper body.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: we need to work a bit more on that. But then I've also noticed that uh, females tend to have a bit better endurance, but um, so with better endurance, I say, I mean that they can have like less rest in between sets and stuff like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But with saying this, there is probably more individual differences rather than a uh, difference between males and females mm. and then I find that for mental and emotional aspects there is uh, again going to be more individual differences rather than that there is uh, females and male characteristics
0: mm. sort of, uh, and w- and what sort of traits do you um, do you do you ask or try and identify um, when I've listened to Emmett Lewis before, he talks a lot about training age. Um, do, you, do you have any other sort of markers as as well that help individ, individualise to their specific context?
1: Yeah, it's um, going to come down to a few things like um, their training experience or like training age. Definitely, um, we look at where they're at at the moment. We look a lot at uh, injuries uh, major life, uh, events, I should say, it could be anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course what their goals are and, and where they want, where they want to go. And then also what their lifestyle is like, if they have, you know, if they have kids, no kids, uh, if they're working from home, if they're working at an office, like all of those sort of things are going to play, a big role as well, mm-hmm. so yeah, there is quite a few different factors there that I would like to have some information about.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, turning to, turn to your like personal practice now, um, yeah, I guess what uh, what's currently on the calendar? What are you what are you working on? What does um your practice actually look like?
1: Mm. Um, I currently train. Um, I should say four to six days a week. Mm -hmm. Um, My main training is four days a week. I have done a very simple program at the moment where I am doing two strength sessions and Mm -hmm. they look the same both days. And then I have a handstand practice, so a handstand, uh, two handstand sessions per week and they look a little bit different to each other and my main focus at the moment for the strength stuff is to balance my right and left strength side of the hips. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm working on. I'm working a little bit together with uh, a friend of mine, David Gray from Ireland, and um, he's really good with uh, with the whole gait and breathing and all of that sort of things. I'm learning a lot from him at the moment. Mm. And for the handstand stuff, I am focusing on the the press-to-handstand. So the handstand practice is actually a lot of um, positional and strength uh, focused. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of it, I do a bit sort of longer holds and different positions and shape changes and stuff like that at the moment. Mm -hmm. And um, apart from that, I do um, sometimes I do a bit of, running sometimes i do a bit of uh paddle tennis uh swimming walking just some other stuff that i uh, uh enjoy doing
0: i think that's a really important part right like um other than the training what other sort of physical activities do you engage in right
1: mm, I, I think that's um it's something that's opened up a bit more for me as i get older and i mm-hmm. feel like i am interested in exploring other things than the strict uh, programmed uh, training Mm -hmm. in terms of physical activity I guess hiking is a big one
0: yeah I I remember it was I read something where it was put in a nice way where you know it's important to have like a more programmed exercise portion but then also like this open form portion as well right Mm -hmm. like it doesn't need to have a goal or an end in itself and the activity can just be nourishing in itself.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm. So do you, do you program for yourself or do you get some coaching as well?
1: I have programmed for myself for a few months now. I did train with Emmets for a year or so. Mm-hmm. And, um, then I decided I wanted to try out programming for myself again. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have to say that it's not as fun to write my own programs as it is <laughs> to write other people's programs.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: But for what I'm doing at the moment with the situation as it is with COVID and training at home and, and stuff like that,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think it's working really well. So And I'm having fun, so that's good. Mm.
0: I think that's another definite art that has to be developed as well, like programming to actually try and train yourself effectively. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I've definitely tried it before, like in um, more than a few occasions. Um, And yeah, for whatever reason, I think it's long-term, I find it really hard to sustain.
1: Mm. Yeah. I I definitely um, found it useful to have a coach. Um, I still have, I have a teacher, but it's more of a spiritual teacher who Mm -hmm. is, also putting in some physical stuff for me and we are focusing a lot on breathing. So Mm -hmm. I'm getting some of that stuff, but the um, main portion of the strength training and stuff and handstands I am doing myself and uh, I can see myself wanting to probably consult someone at some stage uh, later, later on again.
0: Mm, Yeah, definitely. I think that's, just the natural curiosity as well right it's like oh like if mm-hmm. i get some guidance there that well it's like part of your learning process as well right absolutely hmm. so i guess it, you know going on from here with um with your work as, as a coach and maybe like your personal practice as well like where do you see this all heading like how do you um maybe like in this this next year like what are your sort of goals that you're working on uh, what are you trying to learn
1: Hmm. Good question. I am, like I said, I'm trying to, I'm studying more of the gait and the universal human movements. Mm So I feel like I'm pretty uh, early on, on that journey. Mm -hmm. So I'm really wanting to learn more about that so that I can incorporate it really well with the calisthenics training Mm -hmm. and really make sure that people are moving and breathing well Mm -hmm. and therefore can perform the calisthenics efficiently as well. But alongside that, I am also personally working a fair bit on not just the external form, uh, so to speak, but also the internal state. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And um, it is something that I'm working on for myself, but also for some students in terms of breathing practices and encouraging a type of awareness around being present
3: Hmm. and
1: being present during exercise.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, um, yeah, that's where I'm heading.
0: Yeah, I got that sense of um, from you as you started talking about bringing perception and awareness and breathing in, right, Um, it sort of naturally leads into um, becoming more than just like the physical actions themselves, right? Um,
3: Mm, Totally. And
0: and with physical training, there's always such a transformation, not only within the body but, you know, within the mental state as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, – and not just the mental state but actually the emotional – the emotional states as well it's mm. it's all tied in together
0: really exciting stuff um well i guess for the people um that have really enjoyed what you've uh, said and i know you covered off some resources like that you've written about as well um you know where would uh, where can they find all this stuff uh, and what if they wanted to ask you any questions what would be the best way
1: yeah so Um, My website is uh, getting better and better with uh, (laughs) articles and stuff like that. So that is mobilitytraining.com.au. My Instagram is active as well. And that is at mobilitytrainingau. And if anyone is interested in asking any questions, they can either message on Instagram or they're welcome to send an email to funny, F-A-N-N-Y, at mobilitytraining.com.au
0: awesome and um i'll grab that link to that maybe that breathing resource as well from you a bit later and then link that at the end of this um podcast show notes um if anyone's interested as well
1: awesome sounds good
0: yeah well um thanks so much for joining me today um i think that was a yeah really great chat um covering a lot of a lot of good aspects and yeah, I think you explained really well um, through maybe some of the confusions that I had as well with, you know, navigating through the whole mobility maze um, and then taking it back to some now when I hear about it, quite, quite logical basics as well, right? Like with the breathing, with the state control, that sort of thing. Um, So yeah, definitely stuff that I'll dig into as well. But um, thanks uh, once again for, Yeah joining me i really appreciate it and um i'll end the podcast here thanks for having me and that's it that's it for today guys thanks for sticking around all the way to the end that was episode 13 thanks once again for listening and also thanks to funny for joining me for that chat now She mentioned her website and I also mentioned a couple of resources as well and I'll link them through to the show notes, especially the one on breathing. I've checked that out. It's really comprehensive. It's a really nice introduction to the mechanics of breathing and bringing more awareness to your breath and maybe some awareness to some abnormal breathing patterns, if you have any. Um, And otherwise, if you really liked this podcast, then please do what you do, share it subscribe. It really helps me get the word out, spread it to other people and keeps me going. So I'll be back once again for another episode. I've got some really great guests lined up. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach me on Instagram. You can find me at phaonp, that's at P-H-A-O-N-P. Shoot me a message. Thanks guys.